Welcome to Exaltation. This is Father David Masterson bringing you the beautiful, the good, and the true. Scripture today is Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that brings forth its fruit in its season whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but they are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Would it be like to have true guidance through the journey of this world to a safe lodging in the next life? What would it be like to have the light of truth to scatter the darkness and show you the path ahead? This is the treasure of the book of Psalms, the largest and probably the most used and loved book of the entire Bible. The word psalm comes from a Greek word meaning a poem to be sung on a stringed instrument. It was in the Septuagint translation of the Hebrew text into Greek in the 3rd century BC when this general title, Psalms, was set at the head of the 150 poems. St. Ambrose of Milan, 339-397, said, Although all scripture breathes the grace of God, Yet sweet beyond all others is the book of Psalms. History instructs, the law teaches, prophecy announces, rebukes, and chastens, morality persuades, but in the book of Psalms we have the fruit of all these and a kind of medicine for the salvation of man. In Psalm 1, we have this wonderful picture of the blessedness and happiness of the man who loves the law of the Lord in contrast to the rootless and barren life of the ungodly. The opening words, How blessed is the man, stand at the beginning of the Psalter for a reason. They express the great purpose for which God has given his law that his creatures be blessed and happy. We need to ponder this for a moment. Modern views of happiness or blessedness 
all revolve around the notion of unchecked freedom. Since the Enlightenment of the 18th century, and especially since the 1960s in America, we have been bombarded with information that defines freedom as being whatever I want to be and doing whatever I want to do, as long as it doesn't infringe on the desires of others who are doing whatever they want to do. This is, of course, a recipe for personal disintegration and the breakdown of the common good of society. It ultimately spawns disorder and the loss of civility. Today we are seeing this kind of thinking working itself out in the riots and destruction that is occurring all around the world even as I speak. Man is most free when he lives according to the blueprint of his maker. Man is most happy and blessed when he is obedient to God's laws and follows his path of righteousness. The key to understanding Psalm 1, and really the whole rest of the Psalms, is to understand this wonderful word, blessed. Webster defines blessed as happy, enjoying spiritual happiness and the favor of God, enjoying heavenly felicity. Blessed is the man. It is translated in many versions, Oh, how happy is the man! Because it is an exclamation of strong emotion and intensity. Happy is the man who what? There are two aspects to experiencing happiness, negative and positive. Negatively, there must be complete separation from fellowship with those who are disobedient. Happy is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Now, why state the negative first? Because wrong conduct in almost every form constantly surrounds us, and we must vigilantly take a stand against it. This is why the Ten Commandments are primarily negative, to prevent us from falling into the sins that are all around us. The reason God says don't do this and don't do that and don't do that is not because he doesn't love us, but because he dearly loves us and wants to keep us away from what hurts us and brings us into the path of pain. Now there is a threefold progression in verse 1. Walking leads to standing, which leads to sitting. The counsel of the wicked leads to the way of the sinner, which leads to the seat of the scornful. These progressions call attention to thinking, behaving, and belonging. Remember that it is through our thinking, behaving, and belonging that our choice of allegiance to God is made and carried out. These phrases demonstrate three degrees of departure from God by portraying conformity to the world at three different levels. First, we accept the world's advice, thinking, and values. Then we adopt its behavior and its practices. Finally, we exhibit its fatal attitude, that of scoffing and indifference to God. With the scoffer, or the indifferent, we are the furthest away from repentance, and we have placed ourselves outside of the experience of God's love. 
when someone begins to live in the company of those who are separated from God and allowing their thinking and practice to influence him, he will find himself increasingly drawn into their sins. Conversely, the stronger our attention and obedience to the law of God, the stronger will be our love for the Lord. Our love for the Lord will grow, as will our aversion to sin. Sin is very powerful. Sin is insidious. Sin leads to spiritual death and separation from God. Therefore, sin must be shunned and forsaken. Now let's look more closely at walk, counsel, and wicked. The word walk in verse 1 actually means to shape one's conduct. The word counsel refers to the plan or principles or worldview by which men live. The word wicked is a word coming from a root which means those who are loose or abnormal. Therefore, when I walk in the counsel of the wicked, I am shaping my daily conduct by the principles, plans, and worldview of those who are loose and abnormal. Remember that there is nothing more normal than a God-centered and Christ-filled life. From God's perspective, abnormality is walking in sin, walking away from his instruction and love. This is a telling description of wickedness. It is getting loose from God, becoming more morally abnormal, and falling into the evil that is all around us. G.K. Chesterton, speaking of the danger of falling from the faith, says, It is always simple to fall. There are an infinity of angles at which one falls, only one at which one stands up. This one angle at which we are able to stand is when we are rooted and anchored in the commandments of God. Listen to Psalm 119, verses 1 to 16. How blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. How blessed are those who observe his testimonies, who seek him with all their heart. They also do no unrighteousness, they walk in his ways. Thou hast ordained thy precepts that we should keep them diligently. Oh, that my ways may be established to keep thy statutes. Then I shall not be ashamed when I look upon all thy commandments. The second phrase in verse 1 is, Nor stand in the path of sinners. Now, listen, friends, what is a sinner? Remember that the word sin in the Bible means to miss the mark. Therefore, a sinner is a person who has missed the mark of God, like an archer who shoots a stray arrow and misses the target. When we stand in the path of sinners, we are committing ourselves to the evil way of life of all who are missing the mark of God. Their lives are like arrows failing to hit the target of God's blessedness and happiness. The third class of sinners in this verse are the scoffers. Look again at verse 1. Nor sit in the seat of scoffers. 
Scoffers have rejected the light and counsel of the Word of God and now try to fortify their position by ridiculing what they reject. One Orthodox theologian says, rather than standing amazed before the luminosity of consciousness and the transcendental splendor that shines in and through all things, we have sought power over reality and so become less willing to submit our minds to God's power over us. Curiosity withers, ambition flourishes. We turn away from God to the imperatives of appetite and self-interest. The path to true wisdom is to find our way back to the knowledge of God. When we find God, we see God in all things and discover a joy that encounters God in all reality. God will be present in everything because everything abides in God. Listen, friends, we must constantly dedicate ourselves to follow, trust, and obey the Lord Jesus Christ, for he is the truth which is absolute and which transcends our personal opinions and inclinations. To be blessed in this life and in the life to come, we must quite literally walk with, stand upon, and sit down on the Lord Jesus Christ every waking moment. You are listening to Exaltation. I'm Father David Masterson bringing you the beautiful, the good, and the true, heralding the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ so that we may experience life in Him. Let's continue our lesson. Now look at verse 2 in our passage. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Notice the priority of our minds. It was the counsel or thinking of the wicked man that must be shunned in verse 1. It is the mind which must delight in God's word in verse 2. The Bible is not a restraint, my friends. It is not an unwelcome demand. Rather, it is a delight, a joy, a wonder in which the godly man luxuriates. Listen to Jeremiah 15, 16. Thy words were found, and I ate them, and thy words became for me a joy and the delight of my heart. Whatever shapes a man's thinking shapes his life. If our thinking is shaped by the world, we will live in an ungodly way. Whatever a man loves determines the direction of his thoughts. If our thinking is shaped by the truth of Scripture, we will love the Lord and live a life that pleases God and is characterized by blessedness and happiness. 
Now look at that little phrase, and in his law he meditates. A godly man delights to ponder the law of God, to meditate in it, to reflect on it, to read it aloud, constantly thinking about the will of God and seeking to understand and obey the scriptures. This is the goal to which we are called if we want union and fellowship with the Lord. Now, what is the content of the law of God, the whole counsel of Scripture? Psalm 19 gives the answer. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is true, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. The Bible is an inexhaustible holy treasure. We are to read, learn, mark, understand, and inwardly digest its wonderful precepts. So what have we learned so far? The root of the godly man's life is verse 1 and 2. The fruit of that life is verses 3 and 4. And he will be like a tree planted by streams of water. A tree that has the good fortune of being planted by a river flourishes. It has a constant water supply. Rochelle and I saw this illustrated when we traveled to the land of Israel. There are large tracts of dry, barren desert in Israel. There are also beautiful, lush areas of green with carefully planned fruit trees, flowers, bushes, and grass. The Israelis have transformed their desert land into a wonderful place of growth and fertility. How did they do this? by introducing water irrigation. God miraculously established water as the universal foundation of all growth. Trees that are properly watered bring forth fruit in due season. So is a person who walks in God's law. He is spiritually healthy and brings forth fruit. It is a picture of graciousness, stability, fruitfulness, and prosperity. One commentator says, Look where you will in God's word. You shall never find any lively member of God's house, any true Christian, compared to anything but a fruitful tree. Now look at verse 3, dear friends. In whatever he undertakes, he succeeds. Now verses like these have been misinterpreted to mean the gospel of prosperity, i.e. if you are faithful and godly and do what God tells you to do, God will reward you with riches and material possessions and prosperity. What prosperity in the biblical sense always means is that God-appointed and God-controlled activities will prosper for his glory and for the extension of his kingdom. As I have said many times before, God is not a magic genie who gives us what we wish. 
when we are abiding in his law and obeying his commandments, he guides our activities and prospers them according to his will and purpose. The godly man is blessed by God and is a blessing to others. Now, verse 4 says, The wicked are not so, but are like chaff. This is an abrupt transition. Not so with the wicked, says the verse. Remember that the wicked is the one loosed from God, separated from God, outside of his covenant of love. The wicked is the one who has not directed his life by the truths and precepts of Scripture, but by his own passions and self-centered desires. They are like chaff which the wind drives away. This is a very picturesque figure of speech. In the Holy Land, the threshing floors are on elevated ground. Sheaves of grain are opened up and the stalks spread across the threshing floor. A threshing board would tear the ears of grain from the stalks and loosen the grain itself from the husks. After this threshing process, the broken stalks and grain were collected and then thrown up into the air with a wooden winnowing fork or a winnowing fan. The chaff would then be blown away by the wind. The short, torn straw would fall some distance away, while the heavier grain would land at the winnower's feet. The resulting chaff was either burned with fire or left to be blown away by the wind. Chaff represents what is unsubstantial, without value, and worthy only to be discarded. It is a symbol of a faithless life that drifts along without God's direction on the path of the wicked and sinners. This is the destination of a life that is not God-focused. If we do not absorb the strength that comes from God and direct our lives into His path, we will be like worthless chaff, blown away by the wind. Therefore, verse 5, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. Therefore, on this account, because of what has just been said, the wicked will not stand. There are other psalms that point out that the wicked in this life seem to prosper and are better off than the righteous ones. You may read Psalm 37 or Psalm 73 for more on this idea. The wicked man will not be able to maintain himself in the day of judgment. He will have no excuse. He will be speechless and ashamed, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. This brings another angle into the picture, doesn't it? The sinners portrayed in this part of the verse seem to be not the obviously wicked whose sins are well known, but pretenders, hypocrites, that infiltrate into the church congregation. Remember our study in Jude, where false teachers were part of the congregation and participated in the love feasts and worship of the church. In the parable of the wheat and tares in Matthew 13, we discover that true believers and false pretenders are found together in the same congregation. But they will be separated at the end of time when God reveals who are his own people and who are the false pretenders and impostors.
For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The knowing here is very important, my friends. It is more than factual knowledge of or about, more than an act of the intellect. It is to take interest in and to actively care for the person, to identify with the person. Some interpreters translate the word to recognize as an acquaintance and friend. It is the same word used in Psalm 139. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou dost know when I sit down and when I rise up. Thou dost understand my thoughts from afar. But the way of the ungodly shall perish. This word perish is used in several ways in the Psalms. It describes a road or a course that comes to nothing or to ruin. It describes hopes or plans that are frustrated and thwarted. It speaks of creatures getting lost and not being able to find their way. It describes men and achievements that come to a bad end. This is a sober word. The way of the ungodly is headed for destruction. The path of the wicked is increasingly dark and ruinous, while the path of the righteous grows brighter and brighter until the day of Christ. This is why we should not trouble ourselves about all the evil people doing wicked things in our world. Listen, my friends, the wicked will receive their punishment from the hand of the Lord. We must pity them. We must pray for their souls. So let's review the road we've traveled. We began by asking the question, what would it be like to have true guidance through the journey of this world to a safe lodging in the next life? What would it be like to have the light of truth to scatter the darkness and show you the path ahead? Psalm 1 tells us the answer. There are two ways and two paths, the way of the wicked and the way of the righteous. Which path are you on, dear friend? Will you trust in God to place you on the path of the righteous that leads to eternal life? Let's pray together. Gracious Lord, thank you for the precious truth of Psalm 1. Thank you that we can walk on the path that leads to eternal life by trusting in you and following the light of your commandments. I pray for anyone in my listening audience who needs to put his faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Work in hearts today, gracious Lord, and bring sinners into the way of eternal life. Amen. For of him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory both now and forevermore. Amen. You've been listening to the program Exaltation. I'm Father David Masterson with Godet Ministries. You may reach us on the web at godetministries.org. That's G A U D E T E ministries.org. This gospel outreach is entirely listener supported. 
Please help us proclaim the gospel on the radio to a needy world. You may donate online at our website. Your gift, large or small, is gratefully appreciated. Until next time, may God richly bless you with this word of encouragement from the prophet Isaiah. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not faint.